And good evening, everyone. This is Rich Barago, known as Met Fan Rich and Met's Killing Me on Twitter. And you are listening to the 31st episode of the Metsian Podcast with Sam Rich and Mike. And a happy Wednesday night to everyone. And it is a happy Wednesday night. The Mets won today. That makes us all happy. That, that's why we do this thing, because we're Mets fans. And when the Mets win, we're happy. And uh, they've been playing well, and we'll get into that. And speaking of getting into our show, why don't we jump right in? Um, unfortunately, we do not have all three of us, the, all three proprietors of the Metsian podcast. Mike LaColent had to work this evening, so he will not be joining us. But I do have one of my co-conspirators, Mr. Sam Maxwell, who is joining us this evening. And as Sam likes to say, he is on location. Um, and Sam, why don't you tell us where you are in Colorado and, and what you're looking at in that beautiful state and how you're doing tonight? I'm doing great. I, you know, no matter where you turn, you can find some nature, even if you're in the uh, urban setting of Denver and Colorado in general. I am spilling into Denver as we speak, coming from dropping off a Lyft passenger at the head and the heart of bands who I unfortunately have never heard, but they will be playing Red Rocks tonight. And I, again, have never seen a concert at Red Rocks. But I can tell you just from the site uh, that it is an unbelievable natural location that they have a state park in as well as an amphitheater in. Uh, And everybody's telling me I am wasting my time not seeing a show there. So I should uh, very much get over there. And I urge all of you, when you are in Colorado, to see a show at Red Rock. Well, very good. And this weekend would be a great one uh, to see a show out in Colorado because it's going to be over 100 degrees here on the East Coast with dangerous heat indexes. So, Sam, you picked the right time to uh, to take a little sojourn out of the tri-state area. And so it's Sam and, and myself tonight, and we also have a very special guest. I'd like to introduce Mr. Jeff Cohen. Um, Jeff is a co-founder, shall I say, of the Baseball and Barbecue podcast. He likes to say that it's two guys talking about their passions, baseball and barbecue. Jeff co-hosts the show with Len Aberman. And while they are both avid Mets fans, their show is really about history of baseball and other topics in barbecue. Uh, In fact, they combined the two topics when they first um, met up with Greg Luzinski at, at Bulls Barbecue at Citizens Bank Park. And they've had some pretty interesting guests on, on the show. There's a whole list here. I'm just going to name a couple. Most recently, they had Ron Swoboda on. I don't know, Jeff, please, uh, you'll have to tell us how you landed Rocky Ron Swoboda, but that's quite a, quite a coup there. You've had Greg Luzinski on, and you've had Greg, I'm sorry, you've had Ed Randall of Ed Randall's Talking Baseball, which plays here in the New York area from 9 to 11 on Sunday mornings during the baseball season. So, Jeff, Welcome. Thank you for joining us. Please tell us more about your podcast, about how you've landed these great guests, and about your Mets fandom. Sure thing. Well, thank you very much. I appreciate being on. and uh, I'm also an avid listener. I do uh, I listen every week, so I really enjoy your guys' show. Uh, I've been a longtime Mets fan. In fact, uh, I was born in 62 and grew up in Flushing, so I have a kind of special connection with the team. <laughs> I started uh, baseball and BBQ with my buddy, like I said, Len Aberman, uh, back in, 2000, in December 2017, and uh, we're still going strong. Um, like you said, we had some really great guests, looking to get some more, and actually we were supposed to ha- get Ron Darling to speak to him when he was plugging his book, 
but he had obviously had the surgery. But the same person who was who was a publicist for Ron Ron Darling was Ron Spoder. Was Ron Spoder. That's how we got Ron Spoder on our show. So uh, we met some really great people through uh, the podcasting. Uh, some of them have been on your show, uh, Gary Mack and Greg Prince. And uh, you can find our show on any of the uh, podcast uh, platforms, Apple Podcasts, Google, Google Play, Stitcher, Spotify. Uh, we also have a website. It's baseballatbbq.weebly.com. And if you want to get in touch with me personally, my, my Twitter is at jlc. 1962 2000 all numbers awesome well thank you again jeff and um and it's great to have you with us and so let's start talking about our favorite baseball team and and i think where we have to start is what are the mets doing to us you know it's they're pulling us back in here they're four and one since the all-star break including four in a row um, and if you think about it, right, just take, let's take a little walk through these games. They've had very good starting pitching since the All-Star break. The bullpen has generally been solid. And wasn't that the plan from the beginning of the season? Now, that plan did not materialize, unfortunately, until very recently. But if you think about it, Cindergaard Saturday night, DeGrom Sunday. Last night, Matts was okay considering – he, was, he hadn't started in a while, but he was effective. The bullpen last night, five innings of shutout ball. Today, Vargas effective. Bullpen, you know, wasn't really challenged. They were able to lock it down. They're scoring runs. It's, it's really a good feeling over the last four days. So here's my first question, and Jeff, we'll start with you. I'm seeing a dichotomous split here among the fans. Some are saying on Twitter, I don't buy this. The season's over. The best we can hope for is a good trade deadline. Other people are pointing to the fact that the Mets' schedule is fairly soft between now and the middle of August. And if they could, I saw somebody uh, tweet today that if they could go 13 and 6 over their next 19, which is, you know, seems like it might be doable, they can hit 500 and then they're right there. And as it is, they're only five games out of the wild card. Yes, they're behind a lot of teams. So my question to you, Jeff, is your thoughts on the Mets? mini resurgence, and also, is it fool's gold to think this team is actually hitting its stride, or, or where are you with that? That's a great question, and uh, yes, it might be fool's gold, but yes, it could be in it. So, yes and yes. Look, five games is not really a lot to make up in two and a half months, but you're like, you're right. They do have to jump over several teams, I think six or seven teams, just to get there. But it is kind of fool's gold because no one will believe they're going to if, – if by some chance they make the wild card, they're going to have to play the Dodgers most, most likely, and uh, there's no way they're going to beat the Dodgers. Now, I know back in 88, the Dodgers weren't supposed to beat the Mets, and that, that happens, but not, it's not going to happen this year. So they could give us some hope. Look, they're playing 800 balls since the All-Star break. That's great. I know it's only five games, <laughs> but uh, they could make a – Make it interesting. I don't think they're going to make it all the way. I, I don't think they're going to uh, make the wild card, but they could make it interesting, give us some hope for to look toward next year. And, and before going to Sam, I, I want to throw this in since it seems very topical. So, Jeff, if they do give us some hope and they do play well, you know, reasonably well for the next two and a half months, do you think that's actually a negative thing? And while it's always great to see your team win, but given um, – that some people are saying they have to trade pieces, they have to get younger and all that. Do you think that 
having a sustained period of winning, whether it ends up in a wild card or not, would somehow be a negative because it might disincent them from making trades and trying to get younger moving pieces around? You know, I, I don't think so because it's really – I think to use a football term, you don't you, – it's, it's, you don't – you don't really gain anything by losing. It's always better to win. Now they're going to know what their their issues are. And uh, looking around the league, looking at the, I'm looking at the Braves, uh, the Braves roster. They have some really young guys: Albies, Acuna, Soroka. I mean, they're in the low 20s. Mets to compete, they're, they're already in their mid 20s. So they they know they know they have to get younger just to, to compete. So I don't think I mean going winning is great, but I think they also know they're going to have to get younger. Yeah, I, I see it that way, too. So, Sam, let's go to you. Um, first of all, your thoughts on, on the Mets and their four-game winning streak and you know, and the fact they're playing good ball. And then also, is this something that you start to say, hmm, this is interesting, or do you think it's, no, you know, don't let, get, don't let it get in the way of the rebuilding plan or the mini-rebuilding plan. This, they're not a real contender. Where are you, Sam? Well, let's just start off by, by thinking about who we, we have uh, uh, running the team. Because, you know, unfortunately, as often as we talk about strategy, we have to uh, look at the way the Wilpons have generally operated. So they just generally don't seem to want to buy into any rebuilding plan one way or the other. So whether or not, I mean, it, it always seems like the cycle is at some point in the middle, <clears throat> excuse me, in the middle of the season, they, everything falls apart, but then they give us a little bit of hope by the end of the season, um, and, and then they wipe all ideas uh, of how to go about the offseason because they can point to this being uh, working to our favor and that working to our favor going into the next year. It was very much how last season uh, basically operated, although that had a lot to do with the transition away from Sandy Alderson and to uh, what was a, a three-headed monster and is now Brody Von Wagenen. So I, I think now, just, just saying that, just, just to get that out of the way in terms of what the Wilpons, whether or not the Wilpons will ever want to buy into any sort of rebuild because they're going to want their stars out there in September as Pedro Martinez has infamously documented before. So I think that First of all, you know, you, you kind of you see them coming out playing against the Marlins, and obviously they had a terrible first game, and you're like, well, here we go again. You know, they're, they're, that, that's it, whatever. But now all of a sudden, four games later, we're talking a different story. After the first two games, you're like, all right, well, they played the Marlins, who they're trying to hold off last place, you know, from, from becoming the last place uh, team instead of the Marlins. Uh, and so you're like, but they're – about to play a first-place team in the American League that destroys them when they came to City Field. So, you know, it's most likely it, it's just, uh, you know, a couple good games as every team is bound to have. But then, yesterday especially, and today even too, I think the, the, the thing that makes you, that might give you some hope is the way the bullpen has been acting. I mean, yesterday was completely against the grain for the way the bullpen has been handling themselves. They were able to hold a 3-2 lead for, I don't have the exact number in front of me, but for at least, like, I think it was five or six innings or something like that. And five. that is quite, five innings, thank you. 
And that was quite impressive. Uh, um, and, you know, yesterday we had Familia, who everybody was like, all right, here, here goes the lead, whatever, you know. It, it's, so we had a couple good games. But then Familia has one good batter that he faces. But then today he gives off the leadoff single and is able to do things that we hired Familia to do and things that we are used to Familia doing. And obviously it's only a couple games, but that was a, that was a big, big inning for Familia. And I believe the score was still 5-3. to three, And then eventually, because of an error, ballooned to what eventually became a 14-4 win. So the fact that the bullpen has been handling itself, Edwin Diaz was still a little shaky, but was able to hold on to the save. And that's the most important part of, of the, obviously, is make, making sure you secure the W. You don't get that blown save. That's his job. Um, so I, I, I think to combine that with my first part, um, I, I don't think that, I don't think they'll ever want to rebuild. They're probably going to continue to half-ass rebuilding and not rebuilding, yada, yada, yada. They go back and forth and back and forth. So if you can, if you can, you know, have a miracle run and like, uh, uh we said, it's only five games. There's a lot of teams in front of them. But I'm never going to shake my head after 2015 and 2016 at the fact that there's a bunch of teams in front of them. 2015 is a different story. They had one team in front of them. But in 2016, we saw them meticulously go up the line of wild card to, I believe, become the first wild card spot after having about five or six teams in front of them. And they didn't, they, they, they took it step by step. Every team they needed to uh, face. Every team that they needed to, to get in front of in the wild card, that's weirdly the way the schedule worked. The Cardinals, the Marlins, all these different teams. And they were able to step up and take that wild card spot, obviously losing to the Giants. Um, but, you know, I, I'm not even going to worry about the idea that they would be facing the Dodgers at this point, who are trying not to become the baseball's Buffalo Bills. <laughs> I think that after two years of the Wilpons falling back into the same pattern and, uh, you know, not making the playoffs after two good years, um, if they can snag a wild card when it just looks so miserable, that would be a plus no matter what happens in the playoffs. Yeah, I'm there with you. Um, and I'm glad you referenced – the 88 thing because um, that was the year where the Mets just abused the Dodgers during the season. We all know what happened. Dodgers were no match for the Mets. Well, you know what? They beat them in seven. So as far as I'm concerned, if you get invited to the dance, you're there and anything could happen. Um, you know, think about, think about the San Francisco giants, you know, how, what they've done in their run. I think, I believe two of those were as wild card teams and anything could happen. It becomes a five game series and it was ever better for those five games. But, um, yeah, we are getting way ahead of ourselves. But, but here's – I want to throw this one out, too, and I'll start with you on this one, too, Jeff, is when you see the good work of the bullpen, I'll tell you how I feel and just react to it. I say to myself, yeah, that's nice, but, my God, if only we were able to get this kind of production out of the bullpen or something close all year long, what a different season this would be. And it's almost frustrating to see it happen and to say, Damn, you know, it's there. This could have been so much different. Jeff, do you get that feeling as well? Oh, yeah. You know, uh, when 
Brody Van Wagner had his press conference last Friday. They came and got us. Well, no, they didn't. The, the Mets' own bullpen came and got them. Uh, if they won, <laughs> if they held half of those games, would this be a completely different conversation? We'd be right in it. So yeah, it, 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 the bullpen has been the, the big problem all season. Diaz gave you a heart attack last night, but he held. He didn't break. So we we got the win there. You know, thank goodness. But uh, you know, if if they can just you know get half of those, get half of them, they'd be right there. But you know, the, the bullpens are fickle every year. You don't know what's going to come out of the bullpen. You you know, you saw Justin Wilson. You thought it was a good high, a good sign. He's out most of the year. Uh, Avalon, he has not. He's only come back this this past week. So you just don't know every uh, every year. They 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 change year to year, and every year they're fickle. You just don't know. You're not going to have another Mario Rivera out there, you know. So he doesn't exist. So it's no, just, it doesn't. You just don't know every year. You're right. Now, Sam, you you hit on a really good point, Sam, about Familia. You know. Today I'm tracking the game on my phone as I'm at work. I think I know a lot of us did. Um, and, okay, Mets got the lead. Threw in home of our Dom. That's great. Wonderful. And I look, oh, God, Familia's in the game. Base hit. And it's like, you know, this is not going to end well. Two days in a row. It's Familia. But what does he do? He shuts the inning down. So when you see this, I mean, do you ever get that almost like, I don't know what you want to call it, buyer's remorse or whatever it is, that, uh, if only, do you ever get those feelings? Uh, I can take that. Was familiar? Uh, I think, you know, he, he was. He sorry, is what guys, he is. Sorry. He, so run with it, Jeff. Run with it. I'm back. <laughs> okay. I was having some phone issues. <laughs> he, he'll give you a heart attack every once so often. If he's not, if he's not on, just take him out. I don't understand why they they just let him go out there when he doesn't have it. You can tell right away. If he has it, great. He's going to do fine, especially in, in low leverage situations. Like today, he he came in what was a five five three lead. Okay, he gave up the hit, but but he was able to hold it. Uh, other times when he he walks the first two batters, get him out. Why face? Why let him face a third fourth batter? What's the point? You know he doesn't have it. Get him out. Get get his confidence. You know it's low. Get him out. Get someone else in there. Get a fresh arm. Even though the arms aren't that great as it is. I mean, Gazelman is, is give you. Uh, he's been hurt. I don't know if he's been hurt lately. He just hasn't been good. You just, you just don't know. So, uh, but familiar, he's got to work his way back. Put him in low level situations, and hopefully he'll he'll gain his 2015 form. Now, just want to say one thing about the 2015 World Series, which he pitched in. Yeah, I know he gave up a home run, but there were two two other games where he blew the save. I mean, he got ground balls. I mean, they were just errors by uh, by Daniel Murphy and Lucas Duda. That, those lost the game. He got blamed for blowing the save, but really, did he? Not really. But if he can just get back to that type of form. We'd all be happy. And we got him for another two, two and a half seasons, so uh, we're stuck with him. Right. And if you think about it logically, Sam, when they signed Familia, I, I don't know, I, I thought it was a great move because you had the best closer in baseball and you have a former closer as your setup man. And a former closer, by the way, who I believe had 52 saves in, in the 2016 mm-hmm. season. So it made sense to have a, a former closer who wants to be in New York as your setup, man, it did look like a lockdown eighth and ninth, but Familia's been awful. But but what do you take of his last two outings? Are, are you encouraged, or is it more or less, uh, well, it's only two, and it's like throwing a deck chair off the Queen Mary? 
I mean, it's it's really this whole hindsight is twenty twenty in terms of, you know, a lot of fans are like, oh, I never liked Familia. He was always shaky. It's like what I remember about Familia at the beginning of his career or at the beginning of closing as a Met, in 2015, I don't know whether there was ever a closer in Mets history uh, or at least in modern Mets history uh, where – you, you had such confidence as Juris Familia in 2015. I mean, it wasn't until the World Series, the only mistake, and Jeff is absolutely right, the only mistake he ever made was quick pitching Alex Gordon twice in a row. Yep. You don't yep. do that because he's going to know it's coming. He's going to understand it after, like, it, it's literally two pitches in a row. You can't do that. Everything else was not his fault. I thought Ter- Terry Collins handled the bullpen unsoundly at that point. It was clear that Addison Reed was your eighth inning guy, and he kept going to Tyler Clippard like he did in September. I thought that was incorrect, and I thought that the majority of of why Familia didn't perform properly was both defense and uh, piss-poor managing by Terry Collins. In 2016, he started being a little shakier, but he was still able to get the job done with 52 saves. If you guys remember, there were like a couple games, one of them being against the Cubs, where he loaded the bases but was able to induce the outs, including a couple double plays. Um, and, and you know, he was absolutely pumped. He, he just seemed to, to excel in these situations. Now, it could also, part of it could be uh, uh, he wasn't in enough situations after that in 2017, of course, there was the domestic issue. The same with, with uh, Jose Reyes. You always wonder how these things, uh, how, how some of these home issues factor into the mental element of what they're going through. And I love a good familia. You know, I mean, like, like some of these pitches, like you, you remember why we've been talking about him with, with uh, Henry Mejia going all the way back to, like, 2009, 2010. I mean, we've been talking about this guy for a long, long time. And when you see flashes of, of what you remember these last two games, you remember why you love this pitcher. And I, I, he's, I, I'm, you know, I, I'm flip-flopping because I've been saying you got to get rid of him. But, yeah, like, like everybody's saying you can't have Familia on this roster. Where is he going? He's, he's got a three-year, $30 million deal. And maybe they're going to ask him, like they did with Ali Perez, to work some stuff out in the minors at some point. But, he, it, you know, they kind of sort of did that with this injury and then sending him to rehab in AAA. Maybe he didn't – you know, maybe it wasn't enough games, but now he seems to starting to get, gain his confidence back. And today was, the t- today was a very, very important inning. And I'm, I'm just hopeful that it can continue because when his bite is on, man, those pitches are nasty. Let, let me just so they are. throw in two things. Let me just throw in two things here. New Yorkers, New York Mets fans love their homegrown players. Familia was a homegrown player. We traded him, and we came back. He wanted to be here, so we love that attitude in him that he wants to be a New Yorker. Also, when they got rid, when they hired Ricky Bonus, come back to the bullpen coach. That's someone familiar was familiar with, <laughs> no pun no pun intended, and he's gotten a little better. So maybe you know two factors really, you know, helped him, and he'll be hopefully better going forward. Uh, and I, I agree with you, Jeff. I, there's nothing 
you, you can't underestimate the power of a motivated athlete, and Familia was motivated by the fact he wanted to be here. You know, I think he was disappointed being traded to Oakland last year, and he, his heart was with the Mets, and he wants to be here. And maybe you've raised a good point here with Ricky Bonus back. You know, you get some element, maybe somebody who can communicate with you in a certain way, who maybe picks something up in your delivery, can be that difference maker along with that motivation from wanting to be here. So I think there is something to that. Um, so, uh, all I right, gentlemen. Ask before, we, before we move on, I just wanted to ask, I, I'm kind of spacing on where Ricky Bonus went when that move was made in general. And where was he? He was still in the organization at the time that he, they brought him back into the bullpen, right? Yes. He I had think a different... he was a roving instructor. Yes, exactly. Okay. Okay, thank you. No problem. So, all right, so good talk on the bullpen and, and good talk on the 4-1. Uh, now, now, let's move to something. Let's move to Pete Alonzo. We all love Pete Alonzo. I love Pete Alonzo. I'm sure you guys do as well. 31 home runs. The shot he hit today is still in orbit. I think it was the final count was 474 feet, third deck, all of that. I loved Gary Cohen. I think it was, I think Gary saw it on the video where he said that guy who caught the ball sitting in the third deck probably never thought he'd get a ball today. Uh, so Pete Alonzo <laughs> did something that you know Pete Alonso, we're getting used to seeing him do. Won the home run derby, all of that. Here's the butt, though, and here's what I want to ask you guys. He competed in that dreaded, that blasted home run derby. And he did look pretty bad in Miami, and he didn't look good last night. Um, so is it just, you know, in your opinions, is it four bad games happens to everybody, not, nothing to worry about? Do you think maybe the whole curse of the home run derby thing popped in there where maybe, uh, for especially for a young guy like that, maybe his swing got a bit altered and, um, and he had to readjust? So here's my question to you in summary. 474-foot home run aside, Pete has – he's been chasing. He hasn't looked really good at the plate until that at-bat today. Sam, do you tie any of it to the home run hitting contest? You know, people have been obviously going there already on Twitter, and I said let's give it another week, and then he hit the home run. Um, Now, mind you, it's only one massive home run that happens to be the – longest home run in StatCast Mets history. Uh, so that's amazing. Um, I, I, I love that, like, I was tweeting all day, I'm jonesing, I'm jonesing, <laughs> Alonzo, I need my fix, Alonzo. <laughs> and then he, you know, literally in that, that, at that, I said something like, I need my, my Alonzo Homer fix, please. And he got, he, he delivered for me. Um, so, you know, I'm, I, I do think you have to factor it. You have to think about it, but this is a, 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 a something that continues to come up. I mean, I remember it's almost, I think it's over a decade that we were talking about this with Bobby Abreu coming out of uh, hitting the, the home run derby in like 2005. And he didn't have the same uh, next half as, as he had the, uh, the first half. So it's gotta be something that, they're, they're factoring into their approach, if you will, you know, that, that they're trying to make sure that they don't get thrown off. Um, and it wasn't like, it, you know, what, I haven't even seen the numbers. What's going on with the rest of the home run derby people? Obviously, he won the home run derby. But what about Vladimir Guerrero Jr., who, as, as some people said, won the night, if you will. You know, it's the, the Josh Hamilton syndrome. 
Um, I, I haven't looked at the numbers, and I could check after uh, I'm done here. But um, what? And and this is kind of a tangent, but nobody was talking about the fact that Jeff McNeil hasn't been hitting as soundly since coming back from the All Star uh, game. Uh, so everybody everybody wants to talk about the home run derby. And luckily, Jeff McNeil was able to get a double uh, in the later innings today, too. You know, I, I, weirdly enough, I think, you know, the numbers are going to come for Pete Alonso. I want Jeff McNeil to not only continue, you know, we're a better team. Will, will, will I take Pete Alonso and Jeff McNeil not doing what they're doing if we're also winning? No, because most likely they're going to be helping us winning one way or the other if they're, if they're performing the way they have. We all know that the Mets have been putting themselves because of partially because of those two people in positions to win. And what we just talked about was the bullpen. I, 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 I think that both need to keep the break in mind. It might not just be the all-star game. It might not just be the home run derby. It also might just be the fact that there's some days off here. You know, they, they, they've been in a groove. And with baseball, you need to be playing it every day. So, I, I, you know, one home run doesn't necessarily erase this idea of it. So let's see how he does the next few games. But I don't think it's as much of a factor because it's got to be in their head when coming back from winning the home run derby. So, Jeff, Pete Alonzo. Swinging out of the strike zone, not looking like the same hitter, cause and effect with the home run derby. What are you thinking? Uh, I, I'm not a big believer of curses in the home run derby. I think uh, Sam made a great point where they have days off and they're out of their routine. Uh, look, they might have been overwhelmed going the first time, you know, to the All Star game. So that could have been a factor as well. I'm glad to see Jeff McNeil, McNeil still. I mean, he wasn't a little slump, but he's still getting his hits. And remember, Alonzo did hit a shot in Miami in any other ball, part of the ballpark that would have been gone. He just had hit it to the, the deepest part, and it was caught at the wall. So I'm not too worried about his power. I'm, I'm sure it's going to be there. They just need to keep on, uh, just keep on doing what he's doing. He's been uh, just a, a great find this, this season. We knew about him last year, and now he, he's proving how, how good he is. And McNeil was, is just a revelation. I mean, no one saw this coming. I mean, yeah, last year was great. Who thought he was going to keep it up all year? He's at, you know, at 345 now? That's just unbelievable. Those two guys are going to, you know, and they're young enough to be really the solid foundation going forward. And uh, I, I really don't think it's a home derby anything to do with Alonzo. Uh, little slump, mini slump that he's, in, that he's hopefully out, out of right now. And, yes, uh, Guerrero might have won tonight, but really – Alonzo really won the home, obviously won the home run derby, but remember, he had to go second all the time, so he only had to beat the, his, his opponent by one. So when this whole this whole uh, thing about oh Alonzo uh, really Guerrero won the home, but what, what a bunch of malarkey that is, you know? Just very funny to read about it on Twitter and all, and all the uh, writers out there. Yeah, it was because you, you know you play by the rules, and he won one fair and square, and um, you know, and and I want to just just touch briefly on something you just said, Jeff, which is the good young core. And I, that's why I am not a fan of a full rebuild for this team, because they really do have a good young core. You have McNeil, you have Alonzo, you have Conforto for at least a couple more years. I know he's a Boris client, which scares me a little bit. 
Um, you, know, you, you still have a young Edwin Diaz with a lot of team control. You have DeGrom locked up. So I, I think there is a really good young core here to a point where it doesn't make sense to rip the entire thing down. This is not a team of aging veterans. It's a team that has a couple of them. So that's why I'm thinking retooling more than rebuilding, and I, and I wanted to jump on that. I thought you made a really good point there. Um, I'd like to segue over to Pete Alonzo's buddy on the right side of the infield. Let's talk about Robinson Cano a little bit. So Saturday night, Robinson hits an absolute bomb uh, to put the Mets ahead, game them ahead 4-2. They won by that same score. Sunday hits a home run. He had four hits in Sunday's game as well. So – and then, but I want to I want to ask you about. So I'm going to ask you two questions, Jeff. I'll start with you here. When you think about Robinson Cano, do you think his best days are behind him, or let me ask you this part: the recent he's had a you know some couple good games here. He looks a bit more like the Robbie Cano of old, where he's going to left field when he has to. When he pulls the ball, he's turning on it and hitting it with authority. Yes, it's a small sample size, but here's the thing I wanted to ask you. Cano said after Saturday's game, I think it was after Saturday, might have been after Sunday, that he, he said, look, I'm not making excuses, but I was hit on the hand twice. Then you watch Todd Zeal in the postgame, and Todd and Keith said the same thing. Cano is a hands hitter. He doesn't have a big stride. His power comes from his hands. He, he has a very good swing, a very powerful swing, but that strength is coming from his arms, particularly his hands. So, do you think that maybe what we're seeing is maybe Robinson Cano isn't done? Maybe he just had to let those injuries heal, or do you think it's just a couple of games and he's an old man at this point and, and the Mets are lucky to get anything out of him? So where are you on that one, Jeff? Well, I, I do think Cano's best days are behind him. That's, that's, I, I don't think it's uh, up for much discussion. He is uh, 36 going on 37. But then again, he wasn't going to hit 220 all year. He is going to be – at his, you know, 280 at the end of the year. It's just a matter of he wasn't going to be this bad all season. He, it just couldn't be. Now, if he would hit on the hand, then, yeah, I remember when that happened. If he, if he should have been playing if he was hurting the team, you cannot be you – know, if you're injured and can't, and can't perform to your best of your abilities, you shouldn't be out there. And has, obviously, he has not been doing that well. Now, you know, we all know his lackadaisical style – he did it with the Yankees, but when he was with the Yankees hitting 330, you might be able to jog it out of the box. Not when you're hitting 230. You got you got to give it give it some effort. So I think that's why a lot a lot of factors, a lot of fans don't like that those optics as uh, as, as Alderson like like to say. That's very bad optics. If he was hurt, you know, Mickey should have sat him down, or or, or put him on the IL because if you're hurt, you're not helping the team at all. And if he and if he can't generate the power. And, and go the other way and get those base hits, then he shouldn't be playing. He should, you know, rehab, get better, and then put him back in. But he was not going to stay a 220, 230 hitter all year. I, I think he's going to end up, you know, 275, 280, and that'll be probably the norm going forward. I mean, he's not old, old. I mean, 36, maybe old for baseball, but when the 30s become the, the magic number where you get old in, in, in the sport? For years, you know, I know we know Pete Rose, but Pete Rose played until he was 40. And he was doing pretty pretty good, you know. I just don't see you just don't lose it all of a sudden. I mean, last year he had three thirty. I know with the PED suspension and all that, but he was a three thirty hitter last year. You still drop off by hundred points in a year. It just doesn't happen. He'll 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 go back to his normal. Uh, I, I believe he'll end up around two eighty two eighty five. 
Yeah, and you know, you, you made another really good point. And Sam, before I go to you on this question, I'm just going to poke it poke at that a little bit with Jeff. You made the point about he got hit. He got hit on a Sunday, on Easter Sunday in St. Louis. Then he gets hit, I believe it was the second, maybe the third game against the Phillies. It was either the Wednesday or the Thursday night. Four days, three or four days later, got hit in the same hand. Now, let's talk about what you just said. He kept playing. Think about what Pedro has been saying. It's all over Twitter now. It's, it seems to never go away. That the Mets want their players on their on the field. They don't care if you're hurt. They 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 have this attitude of we're paying you. You need to go out there and play. Do you think that Cano was mis, mishandled? Let's call it. Maybe not mistreated, but mishandled. Do you think? And I, and I would agree. I, I think he should have been sat down and maybe put on the IL because he was clearly in pain. What are your thoughts on that? That's a, that's a great point. But you know, and you you might be right. It goes all the way to the top because this is going over several several administrations here. You go Omar, you have Alderson, now you have Brody. You know, there's one pattern here. It's, it's the same. It's ownership is the same. And I guess they want their high-paid players to be on the field. I remember last year, I did. See, I was at the game where, uh, where Cespedes was playing, and he couldn't walk off the field. I remember he's going from left field to the dugout. He, he, it, it took him five minutes. He just walked very, very slowly. And I was going, why is he still in there? So, yeah, it, it, I do have a feeling that it, they, the highest-paid player, they went on the field no matter what, which is, you know, stupid in hindsight because you want your best players to play the, the best they can. And that's they they got to be in, full, in their best physical condition, not when they're hurt. Yeah, I'm, I'm with you. So, Sam, Robinson Cano, um, is he back, so to speak? Um, was it his hands, you know, because the hands hit, or where are you seeing that? Well, first of all, uh, to touch what I, I did bring up earlier about the Wilpon, you can't expect different results making the same choices. So you'd hope that they would learn by now that it is a detriment to your long-term stability, i.e. the 2006 playoffs, to be this short-sighted. Um, and, and hopefully that's not necessarily the case with Robinson Cano, but we keep seeing him in the three-hole when he doesn't necessarily – you know, it's, I think it's starting to subside a little bit. But before the All-Star break, we kept seeing him in the three-hole uh, when he – wasn't performing properly. Now, you know, he got on base the last two games at some point. I know he scored a run today, um, but he didn't also collect hits. So, you know, I, I, I don't know exactly what to buy, you know, what to, what to take of it. I, I do think that's the case with the, the wrist. I think that we, we talked about it when it first initially happened, that, that uh, it could be the reason why he wasn't uh, hitting properly. Um I, I, I don't think they're going to move the contract. I don't think that uh, uh, he's going to retire anytime soon. And I think athleticism has a lot to do with how these players perform going forward. And Robinson Cano is as athletic as any, anybody. Uh, I think that I, I saw a tweet that said Met fans should be rooting for Robinson Cano because he's not going anywhere. And that's basically how I feel about it. You know, we, a good Cano is going to make this team better, bottom line. Because imagine, imagine where the Mets would be sans the bullpen had Robinson Cano got a few better hits, you know, with runners in scoring position instead of striking out uh, at certain points. So uh, I, I think that 
Oh, another thing I'll throw out there. Historically speaking, he's been a second-half hitter. So that bodes well for us as well, for what Jeff was saying about him settling into 275, 280. Do you think he was mismanaged? Do you think that the adults in the room should have said, Robbie, you would hit in the hands twice? Remember, both times, and it literally was three or four days apart. Oh, out of the game, going to go for x-rays. Mets dodge a bullet, you know, nothing broken. But do you think it would have been prudent, since it was April, at that time, to say, okay, Rob, nothing's broken, we're the adults in the room, 10-day IL, or what do you think? Well, for one yeah, thing, I, I mean, on you know, Rob, Rob, oh, sorry, sorry. No, no, go ahead, go ahead, I'm sorry. No, I was just going to say that, that Robin is an adult too, but he's also an athlete, and we, we kind of think about these folks a, a little differently that they're they're constantly just wanting to play wanting to play wanting to play let's not even think about the the wrist injuries what about the fact that he got brought back without rehab and then was put back on the il rich <laughs> you know it's like yeah the, you know unfortunately we're talking about the the um the, the adults in the room acting like children yeah the quad injury right right absolutely you're right Jeff, take it. Look, uh, Robin Cano is a very, very proud player, uh, notwithstanding his PEDs. And he's only about 460-some-odd hits away from 3,000. He wants to get to 3,000 hits. He has four years still left on his contract. You know, you're talking about 120 hits a year. He can do it. And he, sure. he, he's going to insist on playing. And, you know, you got to balance that personal goal between the team goals. And the adults in the room, like you said, they, they have to be the leaders. They say, listen, you're not hurt. You're hurt. You're not playing. You're hurting a team. You can't play. And that's, that's the way it's got to be. But the Mets, they, they don't operate it that just way. Always, it just always comes back to who is the chief operating officer. And he doesn't know how to operate. I agree. Pedro agrees. He agrees with us. I agree with you guys and Pedro as well. <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, and I want to read Pedro's book. I saw the excerpts on that, and I definitely want to read his book. Um, so, all right, let's move to Edwin Diaz. Uh, ironic, right? We talked about Cano. Let's talk about his buddy who came with him from Seattle. So, Edwin Diaz, since the All-Star break, he's been in two games, and in both games, he got saved, and in both games, he looked pretty bad. You know, Saturday night, he comes into the, to the game against Marlins, and they hit him, they hit him around. They hit the ball hard. Really, the turning point was that bullet line drive to Frazier that if it's, you know, three inches in, uh, further to Frazier's right, um, it goes down the line. And, um, and it's a double, and, and the Mets probably lose that game. But, you know, through the grace of God, we'll say, the, the Mets are able to win the game. Okay. Last night against a, a really good-hitting Minnesota team, no doubt, Diaz comes in, first batter, no problem, 0-2 on the second batter, great. And I do think the long delay had something to do with it. You know, when uh, Scope pulled his lat and they had to get another batter in there, and then that guy, that young kid, battled the crap out of Diaz and um, worked him for a walk, and then the inning just went all over the place from there. 34 pitches later, I believe, uh, pop up to third in foul territory. Frazier, God knows what he was doing with the basket catch. All of a sudden, he thought he was willing to for goodness sake. What the hell was that? But anyway, um, Diaz has not looked sharp. And I know I'm not saying anything new because he hasn't looked sharp all year. 
what we're hearing by the professionals, Todd Zeal et al., is that he is now basically a one-pitch pitcher. He's, his velocity is fine on his fastball. He hit a hundred a couple times last night. But his slider is a show-me pitch. It's just not working. And um, some are saying it's the baseball, could be other things. But Edwin Diaz, let's talk about that. So, uh, Jeff, we'll start with you again. Certainly, he has 21 saves, which isn't awful, but he hasn't been as advertised, and he's become a one-trick pony. How much does that concern you? It, it concerns me a lot. It, it's always an adventure when uh, Diaz now comes in. I mean, you're right. Last night, his first time, no problem. I do believe the, the delay with Scope and, and uh, got the batter who would play him, but he battled like five, six, seven, eight, eight foul balls and finally worked out a walk. And that was a, you know, got to give the guy credit. But that really set the tone for the rest of the inning where Diaz just could not put it away. I mean, even a, a little ground ball at third base was just a, a swinging bunt. And that's just, you know, sometimes you just get unlucky. I mean, who knows what would happen? And you're right. What was Frazier with that basket catch? So, uh-oh. I had visions of, of Luis Castillo again uh, when he did that. Uh, but he has not been sharp all year. And if he's just a one-pitch pitcher, that is also not a good thing. And I don't see why they can't have someone up behind Diaz when you know he doesn't have it. I know he doesn't, when he doesn't have it. You guys know when he doesn't have it. You just see it on, on the screen. I don't know why Mickey doesn't see that. If he doesn't have it, have a backup plan. Get someone up out there just in case. And uh, I don't know why he doesn't do that. But he's certainly not the same pitcher he, that was advertised when he came over. Hopefully he can rediscover that slider and, and use it as a weapon. But right now, it, you know, I'm not comfortable when he comes into the game. I'm sorry. I'm just not. Well, I don't blame you because, you know, that old adage, you could throw as hard as you want. You could throw 100 to 103. If they know it's coming, major league hitters will hit it. They're they're not intimidated by that. Um, you need that. He doesn't throw anything else. I mean, he'll, if he throws a slider, it's way off the plate just to show them the slider. I I'm not sure he can. Well, not. I, I want to say he can't sustain sustain success with one pitch, but he really hasn't had much success to sustain. So Sam, they've got to figure that out, right? They've got to fix that slider. Yeah, they definitely do. I mean, it was a nasty pitch. Well, let's also remember that he had a one-supping ERA through the first two months of this year. Uh, and I keep placing it with that rain game where they just, you know, kept pulling him up and down, and they 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 were so indecisive. The adults in the room, i.e. both the Mets and the umpires, were indecisive about the, the what they wanted to do with a 4-2 lead. And Edwin Diaz is out there. Uh, having to figure out, you know, how to stay loose just in case he comes into the game. And then when he finally comes into the game, it's absolutely pouring. I point that as being the turning point for when Edwin Diaz went from struggling a little bit to having a terrible year. Um, uh, you know, he he was top two best pitchers on this team uh, for the first two months of the year. His his slider was biting. Everything was sharp. Uh, you know, he, he blew a couple saves with some home runs here and there, but other than those pitches, he was, you know, the, 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 the pitches had some bite on it. So I don't know exactly how uh, to fix it. I know we were talking about Tomas Nito uh, uh, helping him out, uh, being the one who threw 
this entire idea of just throwing fastballs right now. But hey, whatever works, uh, you you gotta just run with it. You know, if if he's not feeling his fire this year, try to work on it, but keep running with the fastball. And then work on the slider when you're when you know it's not game time situation, and uh, you know it, we're we're not trying to look for some saves right now. Um, I, I wanted to say too that that it looks like Wilson Ramos uh, was in the game in the ninth inning the other day, and, and so you know that that that's a good sign. The fact that they were able to power through and that we're not able to blame Wilson Ramos for some of these troubles. Yeah, um, uh, Diaz, I, I don't – I'm concerned because when, when your closer – his out pitch was his slider. I mean, granted, he could throw really hard. But with Seattle, his out pitch was that nasty breaking slider. And when you take that away from the guy, I, I don't know what uh, – they have to figure this one out because they – they uh, you have a young guy here who has a lot of team control, as I said earlier – you want to keep him around. You want to make him, you know, the next Mariano or whatever it is, you know, lockdown closer. But, my God, he's not going to do it with one pitch. And whether it's the baseball, the seams on the baseball, whatever it is, he's got to figure that out. He's got to develop that. He's got to get that pitch back because he just, he's just not going to be as effective. You know, you don't need a Ph.D. in pitching to figure that one out. Um, all right. So let, let's move to the trade deadline. We are exactly two weeks from said deadline. And I'm going to ask you guys to run with it, but I'm going to throw a few things out. Don't feel like you have to comment on what I'm saying. I'm just going to be asking you for your thoughts on the Mets at the trade deadline. But a few things to think about. And, Jeff, we'll start with you. Um, A few things to think about. Number one, Zach Wheeler got hurt at exactly the wrong time. So he's not eligible. (laughs) Right, because they're the Mets. Um, He's not eligible to come off the DL, or the IL, I should say, until next Sunday. So, um, so what? Obviously, any team that's interested in Wheeler, if they remain interested, maybe he'll get a start or two before the before the, if he comes back on time, which he may not. But if he does, he'll get a start or two before the deadline. But I have to think any return you're getting will be minimized by that. Okay. Just right before we started the show, I was on Twitter and I was looking, and, and they asked Dom Smith about the trade rumors surrounding him. So could he be a candidate to go? Some people have said trade Diaz. Maybe. You'd be selling really low on him. I don't get that one at all, but okay. Then, of course, there's Cindergard. Do you trade him? If, because uh, Francesa tonight was saying that there's so little starting pitching available out there, he called it a seller's market. And do you try to capitalize on that? And if you trade Cindergard, do you not trade Wheeler? Another thing to think about. So, or do you basically, do you trade Frazier and Vargas, or do you do very little? Do you say, okay, look, maybe we can compete. Wheeler comes off the DL. We'll get rid of him. We can try to get a prospect back. Frazier, yeah, maybe because we can put McNeil at third. So do the Mets stay relatively silent at the break and just do exactly what you expect? Um, And is maybe the Wheeler thing impacting that? Or do they maybe try to get bold? and say there are desperate teams are going to overpay for Syndergaard, we're going to do it. So, Jeff, my question to you is, what do you think they'll do, and, and what would you do? If you, would you try to be bold, or would you try to keep your chips, uh, keep your chips in your pocket? That's a great question, and I'm glad I don't have to be the uh, one to answer that one, <laughs> you know, the one to make those decisions. Uh, but, you know, you're right. With the seller's market, 
I hope Brody could be able to finagle, getting the best deal, have other teams play off each other, and try to get the best deal for Wheeler. The thing is, you're going to have to replace Wheeler. There's nobody to replace Wheeler. So I won't have a problem if they don't trade him, because if they do trade him now, they're not going to get very much back. And, you know, if they, give, if they tender him at the end of the year – if they, and he goes free agent, at least you can get a, a draft, pack, draft pick back who might be better than the than this prospect you'll be getting by trading him now. So, I, you know, I don't have a problem if they don't trade him, but if they do trade him, Brody's really got to play other teams against, against each other and try to really drive up that price. With Syndergaard, with more control, that, that price will be higher. So do you want to get rid of Syndergaard, which I really don't, because I do think he still has something there. I mean, I know he's been very hittable this year. He's been very inconsistent. I do think, though, it's maybe just a, a yearly thing, and hopefully he can get back to his form because I really do think he's a, a special pitcher. Trading Frazier and, and, uh, and Vargas, that, that, that's, Mets are going to do that just because of salary relief. They'll just get them for a bag of balls. They'll just get those salaries off the books. Cause that's what they do. They did it last year. They're going to do it this year. Uh, I do think Dom Smith is very interesting trade piece. I think you might be able to get more than you think for him. There's be teams that need him. There's teams that are rebuilding. I'm thinking Detroit could use a first baseman with Cabrera going to be a DH all the time. Is there, is there someone in the Detroit system that the Mets could take take for Dom Smith? I think that would be a, a good thing for him, and he can play every day because I do like Dom Smith. and He's, he's a decent left fielder. Let's put it that way. He, he's He's not horrible out there, but he's not going to be an everyday left fielder. He's not going to, he's not going to play first base for the Mets. So it's best if you move him and try to get something for him. You know, if you move Frazier, you can put J.D. Davis at third because he hasn't been playing lately. You know, maybe put uh, Echeverria at third. And, or even, you know, maybe move over uh, the, the, the talking about Ahmad Rosario going to center field. You know, I, I hate that these players are out of positions, but, you know, they got to do something. And then if it's, it's a, if they're not going to make the wild card, if they're not going to go for it, they might as well start trying to do an experiment now. Uh, but I don't have a problem if they trade Wheeler, but they, they just really got to drive up the price between teams. And, and I think they're driving up to a lower ceiling, right, because of the injury. I just can't see any team, even if Wheeler comes off the, the IL, and let's say he starts July 26th, 27th, whatever it is, right before the deadline, and he goes six innings, you know, one run. If I'm an opposing GM, I, I, I'm not surrendering a top prospect for a guy that just came off the IL with shoulder fatigue. I, IL, because he uh, did the Bobby Ojeda and cut his finger mowing the, uh, trimming the hedges, okay, that's, that's a non-baseball injury, no problem. But this is shoulder fatigue for a pitcher that you're going to surrender a prospect for and hope that this guy helps put you over the top into the postseason. I, I don't know. I, I'm just not feeling it. Sam, the Mets could go a lot of different ways at the deadline. What do you think they're going to do, and what would you do? I, You know, it's tough with the Dom Smith part because all I keep thinking of, and today is uh, no exception, where would they be without Dom Smith? He's just been a revelation uh, when everybody had written him off with Pete Alonso on his way. And he has, has saved this team on multiple occasions this year. And, you know, it, it's just like you, you don't want – it's just like Jeff said at the beginning, like it's never a good idea to lose. 
you know, maybe that's also an issue with all these wins coming up is that, you know, they think they can be buyers. They think that they can, they can make a run. Um, maybe the Zach Wheeler, maybe if they actually are in position to, you know, to, to make a run, the Zach Wheeler uh, injury is actually a blessing in disguise because I saw somebody say, uh, you know, hold on to him and make him a qualifying offer instead. I I think that, you know, if, if they're really going to be moving these pieces and, and there's ways to do it, as Brian Cashman showed, uh, without completely sacrificing wins, because the Yankees uh, uh, were looking like they were going to be a completely, you know, losing fest in that second half after they made all those trades. But all those young players performed well, and they were able to actually collect some wins. Um, I think Todd Frazier, even though he's he's kind of uh, uh, he's not doing as well as he had done, and his batting average has fallen like thirty points since his, he was just smoking the ball. Uh, I I don't think that necessarily affects his value because it's Todd Frazier, and everybody knows who Todd Frazier is. If that makes any sense, so I still think he's somebody that you you would look to move depending on what their strategy is um i i you know i i really it's it's tough because i'm very fickle on this because we're just talking about you know being optimistic about it uh, but but then we're still thinking that that it you know we're, we're going back to the idea that this just messes up the plan well you know they never seem to have a plan anyway so uh i I have faith that they can make a run, but I don't have faith that they can bring back the necessary pieces with some of these people. So you might as well hold on to them instead of getting uh, Dilson Herrera, not Dilson Herrera. Dil- Dilson Herrera was a good uh, move. Who did they get for, what was it? Who, who did they trade? Oh, uh, Francisco Rodriguez. They got that, like that, that, that under uh, underhand guy that didn't do anything like, you know, you, you can't always have the Carlos Beltran for Zach Wheeler move. That's still, you know, to this day, quite possibly we're talking about paying dividends. Because um, the majority of the time, most of these moves, these guys have not come to fruition. Dilson Herrera uh, uh, is one, is the only one I can – Dilson Herrera did come back in the Marlon Bird trade. Is that correct? Yep. Yeah, he did. He did. That's exactly – they got him from right. Pittsburgh from Marlon Bird. And, and, and he's back with the – the uh, you know he you know we're talking about about uh, him and Ra- and uh, that other prospect Ruben Tejada Rich, so you never know. Uh, <laughs> I just I had to troll you. I had to I had to get it in. <laughs> <laughs> um, very nice, Sam. I'm not taking the bait. Thank you. Um, so, <laughs> uh, so but you know I, it it's going to be a very interesting thing. I, I'm. I heard a quote from a, a GM today, and of course it's always anonymous, but I read it on Twitter, and it was something to the effect of, well, I've been in contact with Brody Van Wagenen, and I don't want to deal with him because he's all over the place, and you don't know what he's thinking. That's exactly what this GM said. Maybe you guys saw the, saw the quote. And and I guess, you know, when you're dealing with Sandy Alderson, you knew what he was all about, right? You knew what he was trying to do. You kind of knew your, who you're, you were playing chess with. But what this GM essentially is saying is, I don't know who I'm playing chess with here. I don't know if this guy, you know, I don't know what he's trying to do. I can't figure him out. So I don't think he knows what he's trying to do. And that's, I think, what the GM implied was he doesn't know what he's trying to do. So I can't have a, an intelligent conversation with the guy is, is the implication. 
so I don't know what, what the Mets are going to do. I mean, I, I would like to see them move Frazier because I'd like to see them, if they make a couple of moves, I'd like to see them bring back a center fielder, even if it's someone who is in AAA but major league ready, considered major league ready, get that guy in center field, move Conforto to a corner, and get McNeil at third base in Frazier's mm-hmm. absence. You know. I want to see McNeil play a position that he's used to. I know he does a fine job out there. I'm not sold on J.D. Davis as a third baseman, but I'd like to see them begin to put guys in position. They've got to move some guys out. I love Dom Smith. I love his attitude. I love the fact he wants to be a Met. He has to be traded. I'm sorry, Jeff. I know you said I agree with you. He has to be traded, if not at the deadline in the offseason. He does not have a future here. You're, he's not a left fielder. You're not a winning team if you have Dom Smith in left field defensively. And I know he's done an okay job, but that's not his future. He's not going to play first base in this team. His value is to another team, and and you could bring back something for him. So um, anyway, so the deadline should be interesting. The Mets might do a lot of stuff. They might do wacky stuff. They might do a little bit of stuff. I have no idea. Just like this other GM. I have no idea what they're thinking. I don't know what they're going to do. All I know is get the popcorn out. It's going to be an interesting couple of weeks. Um, That's true. Right. Last year at this time, you have uh, Gordon Van Wagenen pushing for the Grand Prix uh, extension. Now this year he's on the other side looking to make trades. So uh, you know maybe he's trying, maybe he's figuring it out as well. Yeah, and, and Rich, Rich, Rich before we. Right, uh, but uh, Rich, before we move on, I, I was—I just wanted to say that I, I, when you were talking about the young core, I, I thought it was interesting. I—and I, correct me if I'm wrong here, but I don't think you mentioned Rosario, uh, who I know you've been very high on, and who had four hits today. So I was wondering if we could touch a little bit on on his hot streak. Please go ahead. No, I just—you know—it's—it's it's interesting because he's four for four. He's batting like something like 370 since June June 17th. I saw a tweet recently, and uh, he still has a 303 batting average. Now he got his 20th walk today, which was which was lovely. But um, and I'll pass it over to you, Rich, and then you could run with it uh, to Jeff. But you know what what do you think about how low that his on base percentage still is? I mean, obviously, you know, 20 walks is rather high for Rosario. And it comes with him now having a career high in home runs with 10. Um, but but do you think th- that he's ever going to uh, be the player that the Mets want from a, a on-base percentage from a leadoff perspective? All great questions. You know, and another X factor here is he's 23 years old. Um, it's easy right. to get frustrated with him because he's not progressing the way we wanted him to. He shows flashes, four hits today. 10 home runs on the year. He does show that there's talent there, but the defense has regressed unquestionably. Um, You have to ask yourself the question, is he a shortstop? I'm not a fan of making him a center fielder at all, uh, but is that what they want to do? I don't think – I think he has value. I think he definitely has value. If it were me, I would – work with him in the off season to make him a better shortstop. I think his offense will come around 20 walks is progress. It's not enough, but he's 23. You know, if he could just learn the strike zone a little more, 
learn to use his speed more. Maybe he's not a leadoff hitter. Maybe he's a seventh or eighth hitter. Fine. He's a good offensive player. I would rather keep him where he is at shortstop and make him a better shortstop than blow this kid up and try to make him an outfielder. Jeff, where are you on it? No, I totally agree. I totally agree. You know, he was he was fine last year when he had a Jose Reyes with him. Now, I don't know what Jose's doing now, but why can't the Mets make him a coach and to work with Rosario and other players in their minor league system just to, you know, make him a little a little bit better? I mean, he responded to him. Uh, you're right. The, the on base percentage at 303 has got to get, get better. He's been hitting. I, I thought he's been hitting much better. He's right now hitting 274, which is, believe it or not, higher than Conforto, at, at batting average wise. Yeah. Uh, but but he. Uh, yeah. I, I, you're right. I, I don't think they should be switching positions. Uh, I really don't like them playing all out of positions. I heard that the Mets like his speed, so I think they can he can trans, transfer it to a, to a center fielder. I'm not sure how I feel about that. I know they have other shortstops in the system who are pretty good gloves. Uh, uh, Jimenez, I believe. I, I think he's in double A at this point, but still, he's a year or two away. So if they're going to make the transition, I'd rather they do it on a minor league level, You know, send him down and, and try to play in the field that way. Don't do it on a major league level. But, uh, yeah, but if he's going to play shortstop, get, bring Jose back and let, let him uh, work, with him, work with the kid. He, he, Jose's not playing anywhere. What's he got to do? Yeah, you know, I, I don't know. This, this, playing yet another guy out of position just kind of makes my stomach turn. And um, I know, I know. And, you know, and, and you've got Jimenez and you've got Ronnie Mauricio, but these guys are a couple years away. So mm-hmm. clearly they're – and we had um, Jacob Resnick on Sunday, and he, he's all over the Mets minor leagues. And he was saying that, you know, these guys are fine prospects, but, you know, they're not – they're not Ozzy Albies. You know, they're not blazing through the system. They're progressing through the system as you would expect them to. They have some setbacks. They move forward normal. But they're not going to help you next year. They may not even help you in 21. So, uh, again, Sam, what would you do? You brought up the topic. I mean, I, I would much rather keep Rosario at, at short and make him a better shortstop. But what would you do? I mean, there's no reason he should be this bad at shortstop. Um and like you said, they're, if they're a couple of years away, then this isn't a problem that we have to worry about right now, one way or the other. Uh, the only thing we have to worry about is how he's regressed defensively. Now, he's been better since then. Uh, he made a great diving stop uh, today. Unfortunately, it popped out of his glove and uh, the runner was safe. But that was also uh, the familiar inning, and they were able to turn the double play. Um, I've been a little concerned with, like, I'm constantly hearing, you know, Rosario to first, and it's not in time with the double play. Uh, so maybe you work specifically also with his, his the way he's been turning it, the way he, he shovels the ball from, from uh, uh, either the shortstop or whoever's throwing it the, his way for the turn. Um, you know, this, this, you, you, I, I know they have a center fielder problem, but I don't think – you need to be continuously changing everybody's position, just shuffling everybody around. Obviously, uh, uh, Ben Zobrist is great. Jeff McNeil is great. But everybody can't be a Jeff McNeil or a Ben Zobrist. And um, Rosario, you know, you, every time you say it, Rich, I always forget it. He's 23 years old. And some of these guys, Pete Alonzo, Jeff McNeil, 
they didn't come up until they were 24, 25 years old. Jeff McNeil, I believe, was like 26, 27 already. So, yeah, you know, he, he's settling in well. The fact that he's hitting 275 and consistently, it's not like he's going up and down like somebody like Todd Frazier. He's consistently been hitting in the 270s this year. That is a big, big uh, sign of progress. And the power that everybody was saying was, is going to come is coming. He has 10 home runs already. He only had nine last year, and we're not even through July yet. So uh, he is part of the young core for sure. Uh, you just got to tighten that defense up, not necessarily be moving him around. One other thing he needs to worry about, he needs to worry about walking more. So why, why, do you, why are you going to be training him in center field? Yeah, it makes no sense to me. He's got he's got to stay short up and just improve, you know. And when his defense improves, you know the pitchers will be, be will pitch better. Be, you know they don't have to go for the strike side all the time. They, you know, but if they're the pitcher's ERA will be a little lower because the Mets defense just is terrible right now. And if they if they uh, strengthen that, strengthen that up, be much better all around. Agreed. It's a very important position, and um, as is center field. Uh, and like I've said, and I've said it ad nauseum uh, on these podcasts, get a real center fielder. Lagaris's days are over. Get a real center fielder in here and um, and go from there and make Rosario better. Sure. I think we all agree. Hopefully Brody's listening because three of his biggest fans here want want to see Rosario not play center field. Uh, <laughs> That's right. He likes the tweet of who's, mine. Who's so available yeah. Who's available to play center uh, field next year? I mean, is Nimmo a center fielder? Conforto's not a center fielder. He should be in the corner. Is Nimmo a center fielder? I, I, I don't think so either. It's just so no one in the system. Who... <laughs> <laughs> N- Nimmo, to answer your question, Jeff, Nimmo, my observation of Nimmo is that he's a decent center fielder. The numbers don't support that. His DRS in center field is, I think, minus one. And his um, his numbers on the corners are better, like you know a plus one or two. So um, you know, not huge difference, but he he rates below league average center fielder. I think he looks decent in center when I've, but that's you know observationally stacked up against the numbers that don't support it. Um, but you know that now that now that you bring up Nimmo, you know he's coming back. They from what I saw a couple days ago, I think it was in Brody's press conference. They were saying that you know he's uh, he's been cleared to throw and run and. They're hoping to get him into some minor league games soon. Now, I don't know if that plan has changed. No, things around the Mets change like we change our socks. But, um, but the plan was to get Nimmo going. And, um, and that creates another thing is maybe that's another reason why they have to make some moves. You've got a Frazier out to get McNeil out of the outfield and into the infield because you have a Nimmo coming back. So, so you know, they, they do have some logjam situations that can be addressed at the trade deadline. Um, so moving to our, our last topic before I get to number 31, Brody's press conference last Friday, I, we've touched mm-hmm. on it briefly a little bit, um, where the line of the press conference was, you know, Brody, you said, come get us. What do you think? He goes, well, they came and got us. So, um, but here's what I want to ask you. Do you think it's weird that Brody, um, that Brody kind of was in hiding for all these weeks? You know, with uh, while the team was tanking, the, all the reporters were all over that. They were saying, you know, he's not made himself available. We've been asking to talk to him. So he does do a, a, a press conference right before the first game after the All-Star break. He makes that comment. 
he talks about how they're frustrated, how they're disappointed, how every time you lose it's an organizational issue. He doesn't take personal accountability at all. He didn't say, hey, look, for, at least as of now, the moves I've made haven't worked out. So what, what did you make? Sam, we'll go to you first in this one. Any key takeaways from that press conference? I mean, would you have liked to, seen, to have seen him take personal accountability? Um, what did you make of the line about they came, came and got us? So, so run with that. Well, I thought it was cute, uh, you know, just kind of harking back to it, you know. Instead of just being like, well, you know, I still felt it like he just came out and said it. And I thought he was pretty point blank. Uh, and, and regardless of whether or not he personally took uh, uh, responsibility for the way that the team has gone, he was like, you know, we're going to have low expectations from now on and play the underdog. I was wondering how the team felt about it. And then I'll, I'll, I'll bring it back to you, Jeff, uh, or bring it back to you, Rich, to go to Jeff, however you guys want to go with that. But I was wondering how the players would feel about him being so realistic about the whole thing. And it might have shown in that first game, but maybe after that they were like, fuck it, you know, what do we have to lose? And maybe that's playing into kind of, you know, showing them – showing him what they're made of. So I, I'm, I'm kind of fickle about exactly what to buy because I'm sure the players didn't necessarily appreciate it at first, but maybe it's worked as weird motivation since. Well, uh, we'll hello, everybody. We'll for- yeah, go ahead, Jeff. You there? Oh, I'm yeah. sorry, Jeff, take yeah, it. I'm here. Okay, I'm here. Uh, his his line that came and got us. You know, I think he that was rehearsed. He was going to say that anyway. Um, I think he's learning on the job. He should have taken more responsibility. He said it, it spread out over the organization. It's an organizational issue. You know what, Brody? You made some bad moves. Own, own it. That's what you got to do. Be a man and own up to it. Look, some of some of the moves you could not foresee. You know, I know Jed Lowry hasn't played an inning this year, but he played 154 games last year. Who who thought he 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 wouldn't see the light of day this year? You know, that's just bad luck. It happens. You know, the the trade uh, was you know never going to be undone, but you know we'll talk about it forever. The the Diaz Cano trade, you know, that has not worked out as well. Hopefully, going forward, Diaz can find him stuff, and they'll talk about this less. But this is a you know a major first impression deal that did not go well, and it's going to haunt them for, for his tenure. Um, but he should de- take it as a learning lesson and just go forward. You can't change with the past. Go forward, do the best you can going forward, and hopefully get some good players in here who can help this team win in the future. Uh, Rich, the board I'm not sure if you're on the board. Uh, Rich, I'm not sure if you're, you're on the board, but we actually have a caller. We do have a caller. Um, all right, so I don't know who this is. Caller, can you please uh, let us know who you are? Have you on? Yes, this is Gary from Long Island, and I have a question for Jeff. <laughs> hey, Gary. Hi, guys. How are you? What's going on? Gary Mack uh, with the the, uh, the random call. How you doing, Gary? <laughs> I'm fine. I'm just uh, uh, I'm at a uh, – Actually, at a casino, 
and I thought I'd check out to see how Jeff was doing, and he's doing a great job. And uh, <laughs> I just wanted to call in and say hi. And as far as Brody goes, before he starts throwing chairs, he's got to remember he traded for Diaz and Cano. <laughs> Gary, it's going to haunt him for the rest of his tenure. <laughs> and it may. It may. And, hey, Gary, while we have you, I'm going to ask a, right. a quick lightning round question. We'll go to you first because we don't, we don't want to keep you away from the tables too long. Um, okay. <laughs> so a quick answer and give me a, a short backup as to why I feel that way. I'll ask, well, I'll ask the question to everybody. Do you trust Brody Van Wagenen at this trade deadline to either do or not do things, to, you know, to basically not screw things up further. Go, Gary. What do you think? Uh, I, I'm going to trust him because I have no no other way to go about it. And from what I hear, he did a good job at the draft. Uh, people that know the draft better than I do, they don't say uh, gave him good grades. So I, I think you have to just uh, see. I just think that he, he's got a penchant for trying to get his former clients. I think here, and he's got to get away from that. And I think he may have learned that lesson. Sam, do you trust Brody? Yeah, you know, I, I think the book is still out. You know, we're saying that he made some bad moves, and so far they do look pitiful. And as bad as the the Familia move has looked, as bad as the Diaz move has looked, as bad as the Cano move has looked, there's one person that can't. Uh, currently change the conversation, and that's Jed Lowry. That still might be the worst move he's made, considering how filled with the infield they already were, and Jed Lowry has not played uh, even a rehab. Well, he actually he did play some rehab games and, and injured himself further. Um, so far, that is the worst move he's made. Uh, but like Gary said, he, he apparently did well with the draft. That also might have a lot to do with some of the front office people that he brought in in the offseason who were very focused on analytics, and, and he brought them from uh, uh, I wish I knew specifics. Obviously, my ignorance precedes me, uh, but he brought them from other organizations who have been good with this kind of uh, stuff, and they seem to work well uh, so far with the draft. Um, so it's not like he, you know, those are the type of moves that we don't uh, ever talk about because they're not right in front, but that could pay dividends over the long-term stability of this franchise one way or the other. Uh, so the, the short answer is yes, I trust him. Jeff. Uh, we have no choice but to trust him. Uh, I hope okay, he'll do a, a good job at the deadline. Gary made a great point. He had a uh, he did pretty good in his draft by all uh, all accounts. I'm very excited to see how this guy Brett Batty does and Matthew Allen comes through the system. Hopefully they'll be able to contribute in a couple of years. Hopefully they don't take that long. I mean, what I'm saying is, you know, like I said before, the the brave brave uh, kids, they're kids, they're 21, 22 years old. We need to get you know those type of players in this in, in into the big leagues, and hopefully they'll progress pretty quickly. And I'm not saying they're going to be another Dwight Gooden and all that, but you know if they can just get to a you know to the majors when they're in their early 20s instead of 24, 25, that'd be a big plus, and I, I hope they're able to do it. Uh, but yeah, I'm going to have to trust Brody this 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 trade deadline, and hopefully he'll, he'll come through. Yeah, well, I, I think you make a good point. All the guys make a good point. We don't have a choice, right? We have to trust him. He's going to be the man making the decisions. Um, and you, know, you never know. I mean, 
we are very judgmental. You know, the deals he's made to date haven't worked out. There's some promise there. J.D. Davis might be a player. Um, he's, he's a defensive challenge, but he might be a player. Diaz could find his slider, you know, and dominate and be a, a, an elite closer for the next four years. It's just right now, given his recent body of work, it might be hard to say, yeah, I know, in, in God we trust, you know, and in, like in Brody we trust here, but, um, but we're going to have to. So, okay, so let's move to the last. Gary, welcome to stay with us if you'd like as we move to the last uh, phase I gotta, of the show. I'm going to go, guys. <laughs> The tables are calling. So. <laughs> Enjoy. I'll talk Thank to you, you guys Gary. soon. Okay, right. bye bye. Bye. Thanks, Gary. Um, so, good talk about the Mets, uh, the current team. And so, let, let's go take a walk down memory lane. As I mentioned, this is the, fir- the 31st episode of the Metsian podcast with Sam Rich and Mike. And we do like to equate the new number of the show to the Mets who have worn that number on their uniforms. And so being number 31, I think there's a certain guy who played catcher for a while who maybe we should talk about. Uh, but there were a couple of other people who uh, who wore number 31. So, uh, so, Jeff, we'll go to you first. I'm just going to throw a few names out, and you can comment on any of these names or – any others, if you like. So, so Larry Bernarth, obviously, he was before our time, but uh, Larry Bernarth, I remember he was a pitching coach in the major leagues for a while, different teams. Mm-hmm. Uh, Jack DeLauro was a pitcher on the 1969 team. Harry Parker, uh, that's right when I started following the Mets. I remember Harry Parker uh, as a reliever. Mike Vale, wow, Mike Vale. Uh, longest hitting streak as a rookie, Mike, and then he never really did much after that, did he? Um, Bruce Bereni, I remember the Mets picked up Bruce Bereni in 1984 when they were making a run and they were, you know, um, basically ambushing everybody because nobody expected the Mets to be good and they were good and they picked up a veteran right-hander and Bruce Bereni from the Reds in the middle of the season. So, uh, Bereni, uh, who else is there? Uh, Gene Walter. Um, and then John Franco, and of course Piazza, I was learning, alluding to earlier. Uh, John Franco, very long career at the Mets. Um, you know, broke some save records for a left left-handed reliever in a Mets uniform. Um, the list is, you know, it's top-heavy. Piazza and John Franco are obviously guys we could talk about. The rest of the guys are a little bit uh, more nondescript. So, Jeff, run with number 31. Any of these guys that I've mentioned or anything you want to talk about, the uniform number? Well, yeah. Uh, thinking about this, when I was a, a kid, you know, 12, 13 years old, Mike Bell, when he came on the scene uh, and he had a 23-game hitting streak, he was he was uh, a flash in the pan, and he was my favorite player for a while. So, uh, Mike Bell is, uh, you know, I didn't realize he wore number 31 until today. But I do remember that 23-game hitting streak. Every day was, oh, you know, what, what did Mike Dale do today? So he was a, a, a good guy uh, to wear number 31. Um, I remember uh, a manager used to wear number 31, George Bamberg. He famously said, oh, guys, I quit. I'm going fishing. <laughs> yeah, he went up. He went off uh, right. to the sunset. Um, I'm going to go with one more. Uh, Bruce Bereni, because in 1984, that was a special season. Uh, and personally for me, because I was an intern for the Mets in the public relations department, and they forced me to work in the radio TV booth and in the press box. It was such a hard job. It was, it was torture. <laughs> but he, I remember when we when the Mets got uh, Bruce Bereni, and uh, 
he was a nice guy and very nice to me as a 20-year-old kid down there. So uh, he, he was very nice. But obviously, uh, Franco and Piazza is, is the, the gold standard for number 31 on the Mets. For sure. Sam, number 31. What's interesting to me is that John Franco was number 31 until Piazza came aboard. Um, and it seemed like, obviously, Piazza was number 31 for the Dodgers, and so I just wonder how the conversation happened. If I remember correctly, you guys, when John Franco got inducted into the Mets Hall of Fame, Mike Piazza was there? He, um, um, let's see. No, but Franco went into the Mets I, Hall I of Fame like, in 2000, I think it was 10 or so. So Piazza had retired right. by then. No, no, I meant in terms of uh, just, sitting next to him, like one of the people that were, that were there. I do know that Al Leiter, I believe was there that day. Um, but I, I'm just kind of, it just makes me wonder like what the, the relationship was between the two guys. Um, and you know, what, what the conversation was when, uh, you know, Piazza was coming and it was like, well, we're getting our star catcher, John. Uh, do you think you could switch the numbers? And I forget what number did John go to after that? 45. I think he went to 45. 45. Okay. Uh, so with a little, little tug uh, operations going. Um, yeah. What I've just, you know, you got to run with Mike Piazza here. Obviously I really, I've heard of Mike Vale. Uh, George Bamberger is interesting because he was the coach uh, for them. Um, and the thing I remember the most about Mike Piazza, and I've talked about it other times that we've talked about Mike Piazza on this show, uh, but was just the follow through of his swing. You know, he swung so hard that he couldn't stop it, that it had to go all the way to his backside, basically, to, to, to uh, beyond his shoulder to his backside. That's what I most remember about Piazza, and I think it's one of the most iconic swings I've ever seen. And he was just such a delight, even during those years that we don't even like to speak of because I was rooting for another team that is in this city. Uh, I still loved Mike Piazza, and I would constantly talk about that swing, that swing, that swing, that swing. So those are my memories about Piazza. Interesting. Yeah, you know, Piazza, the Mets were getting good. In you know, 97, they, they had a – 96 was terrible. 97, they had a better year. 98, you know, they were clearly coming around. And Piazza gave them that credibility. And, and I remember when – he got here, everybody was giving him a hard time, you know, and, and it was pretty clear he didn't want to stay. But then things got a little better. I think Al Leiter had a big um, big part of it. I think he was really friendly with Al Leiter, and Al Leiter kind of helped talk him into to re-signing with the Mets. Remember when he did, you just knew that the Mets were going were gonna to have a couple of good years now. You know, that He gave them the credibility, and, um, and he's – you know, one of the best all-time Mets. He's one of the best, one of the best position players to ever play for the Mets. And if only he could hit that ball I, a little harder. Yeah, sure. So, sorry, what I remember also was that the day that he signed it, I think it was the New York Times. They had a, a headline on the front page of the of the the sports section, and the headline was a quote by Mike Piazza, and, and he said, "If I am ever so fortunate to." make it to the Hall of Fame, it'll definitely be with the New York Mets. And guess what? That's what happened. That's great. Wow. I, I think I heard yeah. that. 
Um, yeah. Well, you know, Piazza, he he just was one of those players. And when you think about it, how many catchers are that great offensively, right? Because it's difficult. You're taking a beating back there. He was their best offensive player as their catcher. I always thought he was he was inappropriately maligned for his defense. He wasn't totally good at throwing that. runners out. Right. He very good on balls in the dirt, very good on pop-ups, would block the plate. He block didn't throw plate. well, but, you know, right. He was like an average defensive catcher overall, maybe slightly above in my opinion. But people made him out to be this defensive liability that he just was not. It's true. I totally agree with you. I keep defending Mike with his defense. And he blocked the ball. Pitchers pitch, liked pitching to him. He blocked the plate. He, he, you know, he, he, he did everything. I mean, I, he didn't have the greatest arm in the world. But you know what? He more than made up with, with driving those runs and hitting those home runs. Yeah. And my only regret with Piazza is, like I was saying, if he had only hit that ball in game five a little harder off of Rivera, it would have tied that game five of the World Series. You know what could have happened from there, but, you know, yeah. what are you going to do? Um, That's right. Um, <laughs> so, gentlemen, we are wrapping up ex- episode 31 of the Messian podcast. I've had a blast tonight. Jeff, it's been great talking baseball with uh, you. Thank you so much for joining great. us. Thank you. Oh, thank you so much. I had a blast myself. Really fun talking to you guys. So, Jeff, I'd like you to give everybody one more um, one more round of where what you do in social media where they can find you and all of that. So if you don't mind, take it away. Sure thing. Uh, check us out. Our podcast is called Baseball and BBQ. Find us on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, all the, all the, all the uh, platforms. Uh, we have our website, www.baseballandbbq.weebly.com. Weebly is W-E-E-B-L-Y. Uh, check us on our Facebook page. And, uh, you know, give us a shout. Comment on our Facebook page as well. And we'd love to hear from everybody. Check us out. Fantastic. And thanks again for joining us. And as you know, you've mentioned you've listened to our show. Uh, We typically wrap up with what we call the last word, um, which could be a word. It could be a couple of words about, uh, you know, if you had to summarize in a little nutshell what you're thinking right now about Mets baseball. So we'll give Jeff a minute to think about it. So, Sam, why don't we go to you first? What is your last word for tonight? Disappointing. And I know that we've been talking about this hot streak, but uh, I believe Jeff mentioned not everybody can be Dwight Gooden. Well, when thinking about 19-year-olds coming up through the system, you think about the fact that – maybe they get thrown into the fire a little too quickly. And as much of a phenom as Dwight Gooden was, unfortunately, the things that that he got into early on in his Mets career have dogged him. And he just recently, I haven't seen what the update is on it, but obviously we all saw the headlines this week of him uh, not being able to shake his addiction to cocaine and getting arrested one more time. And I know that, that, Daryl, a few years ago, Daryl Strawberry uh, uh, was trying to make a plea on uh, via public for for Dwight to get help, and Dwight said he doesn't know what he's talking about. I'm fine, but and here we are, years later, a couple of years later, uh, they had a falling out, and we find out that quite possibly Dwight Gooden is still uh, into this sort of thing, unfortunately. And so, um, you know, it's 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 
it's really sad, and I'm, I'm hoping he gets the help he deserves because he's uh, he's also a all you ever hear about is how nice of a guy he is, and and you just wonder uh, about this. I, I want to find out more information as to what this particular instance was, and so that 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 is. I just wanted to mention that before the end of here because uh, we brought up Dwight Gooden, and now sometimes. Uh, these young kids are, are too impressionable, and, and that might have been the case for Dwight. Excellent point. Glad you brought it up. Jeff, what is your last word for tonight? I'm going to go with hopeful. Hopeful that the Mets will be able to give us some enjoyable last 60 games or so. Uh, hopeful that Brody is going to make a you know a good deal, not, not concerned about making a blockbuster or or a fantastic deal because I know that's not coming, but hopefully he'll make the right deals. Hopefully uh, the Mets will be able to just go on and then have Alonzo keep hitting those homers and and, and McNeil's hitting. Hopefully he'll lead the league in, in in batting this year. So I'm I'm just we had a disappointing first half. Hopefully we will get to enjoy some of the second half and just let's go Mets. Nice. My word is intrigued. I'm intrigued to see what the next two and a half months have. Um, will they – last year, we all know September, they had the best record in baseball, and in the second half they had the best record in National League East. So will they do that again and give us you know, some, some good baseball for two and a half months? I'm intrigued by the trade deadline. Are they going to blow the team up? Are they going to just you know, work around the edges? Are they going to do nothing? I have no idea. So I'm, I'm very intrigued to see how that goes. And with that – Guys, that is a wrap for the 31st episode of the Metsian Podcast with Sam Rich and Mike. Uh, once again, thanks to Jeff Cohen for joining us. And, Sam, I will turn to you and um, allow you to tell us the only way we know how to close these shows. And what would that be, Sam? Let's go Mets. Cool down a, cool down a hot Giants team. That's another thing i got to say. <laughs> yes. Four. Give me three out of four. Let's Absolutely. go Mets. Let's go Mets. Let's go Mets. Good night, everybody. Good night, everybody. Take care. Thanks for listening. <laughs> Good night. Thanks, Jeff. Thank you.